You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That is right. It is the H-Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane. Austin Mendez is handling everything behind the scenes. And it has been a little over a week since we last talked to you guys. Um, Obviously, the Rockets, as we know, lose more games than they win. So lose more often than they win. They lost over the last week since we last talked to the Brooklyn Nets, the uh, the Indiana Pacers in overtime, and the Chicago Bulls were recording this on Monday afternoon, right before they'll play later tonight, later Monday night, they'll play uh, and host the Boston Celtics. It's the second of a six-game homestand. And the thing that we want to start with here, Adam, I think the big takeaway over the last week, particularly I think the last two games or so, you would probably say, but it's significant because of who it is, is just Jabari Smith having – Again, back-to-back really good showings um, in a year where, let's be honest, and we have been throughout our time reco- uh, recording throughout the season that Jabari Smith has has struggled quite a bit this season, particularly with some of the things that he scouted to do well, um, you know, the shooting, even some of the defense. But these last two games have been really good on his part. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to say that I feel like it's a confidence booster. I don't know where his confidence was at in the first place. You could probably speak to that better than I can exactly. But it's got to be a good sign when you're talking about, you know, having a 30-point double-double in one game and then uh, backing that backing that up with um, with another another really strong game. Uh, you know, 20 points on 8 of 15 shooting. I mean, uh, and I'm just noticing here from your notes is that it's his fifth. I don't even think I realized that it was his fifth straight double-digit scoring game. Um, I didn't even realize that myself. Um, so maybe even <laughs> – Slowly but surely and quietly, Adam, I'm getting used to Jabari Smith shooting the ball a little bit better. What have you made of what you've seen of him uh, of late? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it's it's the first time that he's had five straight double-digit scoring games since November. Uh, so, and it does seem like this is a little bit more sustainable. And he has talked, I think, about his confidence, but also I think he just he he just understands how to succeed. I think a little bit better right now, and so he's sort of starting to understand 
where his spots are on the floor. I think he's starting to understand, you know, how he can be successful. And then on the other hand, the team and his teammates are understanding, okay, we need to get him the ball here and we need to focus on getting him the ball in this spot. Uh, This is what he does well. This is what he doesn't do well. And so I, I think that him getting more used to the NBA game and the team being more used to him, I think that it's only natural that he's going to, to wind up having a lot more success, and you're seeing it. And I don't think anybody thought that he was going to shoot below 40% from the field for an entire season. I don't think anybody thought that he would shoot below 30% from three from three-point range for an entire season. So it's all a matter of just like continuing to play hard, continuing to get better, continuing to work, and he's done that. And so you give him credit for that and not getting overly frustrated when there are plenty of reasons to get overly frustrated. Yeah. One thing I'm trying to do, Adam, is not make too much of or draw too quick of a conclusion on what the makeup of these players exactly is when they're this young and this early on into their careers. So when we're out there watching them, Adam, and they're giving poor effort or they look exasperated for whatever reason, or like things are discombobulated or disjointed, and again, the effort doesn't feel like it's there. I try not to judge and say, hey, well, that's just that player's character. That's just something that they, you know, maybe you can't coach that into them. They, you know, they're not a hard worker. I try not to draw that hard of a conclusion on it. But the other side of it is with Jabari, rarely there have been a couple of cases where I've thought, hey, the effort's got to be a little bit better there or that or that right there just isn't good enough. But by and large, it has felt like from an approach standpoint, the makeup, everything that you would want in a number three overall pick is there from an approach, makeup, intangible standpoint. And then on the basketball stuff, Adam, I swear, every time I watch this guy shoot the ball, now a lot of times once it gets up in the air, it looks kind of flat and you can tell it's going to be short. But when it when it releases from his hand, everything looks so good, like the form and the mechanics. I know he talked, I want to say he talked to you about mechanical issues that he thought he was going through. Uh, maybe rushing through a shot at times throughout the year. But I'm looking at it like as someone like I'm obviously not that level of a basketball uh, experience, but I I mean, I played enough basketball to know what a good shot looks like or what good form looks like. And his looks great. I'm like, man, I don't know why he couldn't shoot as good as LaMarcus Aldridge or something like that with a form like that, you know? And so that 30 point game, I allowed myself to kind of let my imagination run wild a little bit of, you know, what that shooting could look like once he figures it out. Um, what, what do you think it is exactly that that's got him here? Is it just, is it just the reps? Is it the, the confidence that they're showing in him? Like, like what, what do you, what would you attribute sort of the swing to? I do think a lot of it is reps. And when you look at shooting in the NBA, like a shot is a shot, but a free, but basically the only shot in the NBA that is the same as college is the free throw because it's still 15 feet, you're wide open, you know, whatever. You you don't really have to do much to that shot. But the three-point shot is deeper. It's deeper on all on on, on all parts of the floor, so you got to make an adjustment there. Um and, and the defenders that you're dealing with, they're bigger and you're not going to have as much space to make to take that shot. And so I do think that you have to make an adjustment there. Uh one I I think one of the the things that has been obviously the three-point shooting has been good and it's been better. But just the fact that he's got that mid-range shot, too, that he can go to that and he can get that shot up over anyone. I remember they played Cleveland, I think it was in February. It was like right around the All-Star break, right around that time. And Evan Mobley is guarding him, like right at the elbow. And he just takes a a mid-range jumper over him. And he makes it. And like 
that's a shot that nobody can stop because if Evan Mobley can't get to that, then nobody can get to that. So that stuff is always going to be there. And it's a little bit of a safety valve for, for the team. Like, Hey, when you need a shot, just dump the ball into Jabari because he's going to get a shot off no matter what. It's just a matter of, can he get the repetitions? Can he continue to make that shot consistently or can he, because he hasn't been doing it consistently, but can he get to a point where he's making that shot consistently so that if you do get in the jam with the shot clock, then he's right there for you. And, you know, I know they want to get into the driving kick game. Well, he spreads the floor. He really, he, he makes that, that system kind of go. So I, I do think that there's a reason why a lot of teams had him at the top of their board. He is what you want from a modern big. He can shoot, he can defend. I'm, I got some, some stuff on the defense, which I think is really important for him. Um, so that's why you take him where you take him. And I think that far too often we want just like the instant gratification. We want these guys to be finished products right away. It doesn't work like that. These guys have to improve. They have to get better and they just have to continue to work at it. Well, and you mentioned the the mid-range game. That's where my imagination was going when I made the LaMarcus Aldridge comparison because we know when he was at the top of his game, he was just automatic from mid-range. And he could shoot threes, but he was automatic from mid-range. It was just deadly. The Rockets fans should know that just as well as anybody, honestly. But you mentioned having more on the defense before we move on, because I, I did want to talk about three-point shooting, uh, the driving kick game that, that you just mentioned. I think we're going to hit on some of that with our three-point conversation. But real quick, you said you had something on the defense. Is there something that you well, want to point out about his numbers there? I mean, you you look at what they've asked of him defensively, and a lot of times he's guarding bigger players, you know, whether it's Giannis or, you know, whoever. They're going to play Jason Tatum tonight. He did a really good job on Jason Tatum back when they played in December. Tatum lit the Rockets up for 38 on 12 of 25 shooting. I think he was 3 of 12 when he was guarded by Jabari Smith. And then on Saturday, the Bulls are kind of a, a funky offensive team because they play the four guards essentially around Nikola Vucevic. Who was the guy that was on DeMar DeRozan for a lot of the night? It was Jabari Smith. And DeRozan had a good game. I think he scored 26 and he shot the ball well. Um, Jabari did a great job on DeRozan. And so uh, he scored 11 points when he was guarded by Jabari, but he was 4-12 from the field, and Smith only committed one shooting foul against him. And so that's not an easy guy to have to defend. You know, he's he, uh, DeRozan has all the tricks in the book. And for the fact that you know, Jabari was able to handle himself defensively, maneuver around all the screens, did not fall into some of the traps, did not foul him and, and send him to the free throw line a ton, I think that's a really good step in the right direction because – if you want to play, you know, you want to be able to switch defensively. And so, you know, there are going to be times where you got to guard bigs. There are times where you have to be able to defend the smaller guys. And the fact that, you know, just this season, he's had really good games against Giannis. He's had a really good game. He had a really good game against uh, Tatum and he'll get Tatum again tonight. And then he's had a really good game against somebody like DeMar DeRozan. I mean, those are three, you know, pretty different players and, and they go about, you know, getting their points in different ways. And for the, and, and with him giving those guys problems, I think that's a really important step. And it shows you just how good, at least on the ball, he can be defensively off the ball. He's still got to get better. He's still got to be more attentive. He's still got, and part of that is just learning NBA offenses. But I think, I do think that that was a real positive development on Saturday to see him have some success defending DeMar DeRozan. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I do want to touch on just this team as a whole kind of getting up for the league's best a little bit more. And that's not a foreign concept, something that we've never seen before a team that's not very good, even a team that is very good that plays down the competition or up to competition. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to get back to this point about the three point shooting stuff, because you mentioned um, in an article on gallerysports.com how, or at least pointed this out, we know this, but I thought it was interesting. You point out how they shot just under 33% from three points uh, from three point, uh, from three point land over their first 66, 66 games, if I can talk. They shot just under 33% from three-point distance over their first 66 games. But then they shot pretty well over the weekend. They shot pretty well against the Bulls from three until they didn't, okay? But the thing that I want to get to you about and and, and sort of just pick your brain on is – like we know that they're not a great three-point shooting team, and and I don't think anything is just going to magically make them one. But Stephen Silas pointed out how most of the threes that they converted on against the Bulls were created by a, by a teammate. It wasn't just dribble, dribble three. Um, it was drawing the defender and you know driving and kicking, which is you know supposed to be once Jabari Smith figures things out and as he continues to figure things out is going to be an area where, like we mentioned earlier, somewhere where he could be really dangerous. But what did you, what do you think of like with their three point shooting? Do you think it's all of just the fact that they are bad at shooting threes, which we know that they are, or could they be better at shooting threes if they took better threes? I think it's both. Um, I, I do think that it would help them if they had better shooters or the guys that they had, taking the high volume of their three-point attempts were better. I mean, you look at just their high-volume three-point shooters this year. It's Jalen Green taking seven and a half a game, and he's shooting 33.7%. Um, Jabari Smith is taking five a game, and he's shooting 30%. Eric Gordon was shooting 34.7% before he got traded on more than five attempts a game. K.J. Martin has taken a step back in three-point shooting. He's taking two and a half a game and shooting less than 32%. So they just don't have a lot of good three-point shooters, but – they haven't been great, or at least you look, so they only took 17 three-pointers in the game against Indiana on Thursday. That's also been a big factor of this is that they don't create enough of those shots. Now, why did they only create 17 three-pointers against Indiana? Who didn't play in that game? Kevin Porter Jr. So he's the guy, and as their, their three-point shooting has really taken a dip, or it really took a dip in the time that Porter was out, because he was the guy who created those shots for them. And so I wrote about this, um, I guess it was right before he came back. It was in that stretch where he missed the 20 games. Their three-point shooting was down 20% in terms of their attempts. Their attempts were down 20% in the games that he missed. And it's just that they don't have somebody who can create those driving kick situations. You know, they have some guys who can drive. Somebody like Josh Christopher can get to the rim. He's not great at finding a teammate. Jalen Green is still trying to get that driving kick aspect of his game going also and so there's a ceiling to your offense when you're not taking a lot of threes now the other aspect of this who was getting most of the touches while porter was out it was alperin shingun now shingun is an excellent passer but his you know for him he's always looking 
towards the rim with his passes. It's more cutters than anything else. He's not really looking outside along the arc. And so they tried to do this um, during that stretch. That, and, and Silas, Stephen Silas said that they were kind of adjusting their spacing to make it to where uh, Shengun would have some passing lanes to the outside. But still, uh, of the assists that he had, I think it was less than 20% were coming on three-pointers. And so that's one thing that I think that they need to work with Shengun on is being able, and this is also just on part of the offense too, is put him in a position to where he can find shooters as opposed to cutters. And because I think you can do both. Um, and especially with the way that teams were defending them uh, in that time where they were really just collapsing on the paint. There are shooters out there. You just have to be able to find them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, to me, it's in large part a personal and let me, issue. And, and, and I, I want to, sorry, just to, and to oh, add right, one more right. thing to that. Because part of this is also on Shingun. Because who passes up a lot of looks? It's Shingun. Yeah, it's Shingun. Yeah. Shingun's shooting the ball well. Shingun was shooting. I, I'm not sure what it is now. But he was right around 50% from three from January 1st on. It's just that he wasn't taking them. He's got the shots. The shots are there. The shot looks pretty good right now. He just got to take them. And that's been another aspect of the Rockets, you know, three-point shooting is that they're hesitant. And if the shot is there, you've just got to take the shot. If it goes in, great. If it doesn't, keep shooting it. I think that was a big thing that, that players really appreciated about Mike D'Antoni is just the way that he empowered them and instilled confidence in them. And we would, you'd ask D'Antoni after a game, well, so-and-so went 0 for 8 from 3. Is that something, would you like to see him take different shots? And D'Antoni's answer would, would always be, he went 0 for 8. He still got 92 left before I start to care. So just take the shots. You know, you're out there for a reason. It's hard to get open shots in the NBA. If you're somebody who can shoot some, who can shoot threes, take them when they're open. Yeah, well, I'm actually glad you interrupted me because I was going to point out the whole issue with Shingun, you know, uh, in terms of not shooting. You know, Vader, a real popular Rockets Twitter person who I follow, tweeted during the Spurs game, okay, so the one that was in San Antonio. Shingun's hitting a three from the from the top of the key. And he says, I really do not understand why Alperin Shingun doesn't shoot more threes. The form is good and he has a soft touch. And I quote tweeted him and just said point blank, it seems like it's just I just put confidence. Confidence. It doesn't I like I don't know if it's his confidence, the team's confidence. I don't know whose confidence it is, but it doesn't seem like for whatever reason he's willing to be a high volume three point shooter, even though his form is good. And his percentages aren't that bad. So uh, yeah, to me, it's just, yeah, go well, ahead. He, he's shooting 47% from three uh, since January 1st, but he's only taken 19. Like if you're shooting 47%, you got to be taking more than 19. And he should have that confidence in himself that, hey, I can shoot this shot. I, this is this is a very makeable shot for me. Just shoot it because if he proves to opponents that he can make that shot, then it cha- it completely changes how they defend him. Instead of backing off on him and trying to seal off the paint, now they have to come out and actually defend him. And he's going. There's going to be a lot more space for cutters and for you know other guys within the offense to do some damage. So it's important for him, for not only for him moving forward to take that shot, but just for the offense itself for him to take that shot. 
Yeah, I I feel like every time the Bulls and the Rockets play, because the Bulls are similar only in the way, in the sense that they're not a three-point shooting team. You mentioned them being a funky offense, but one thing that they don't do particularly well or a lot, and, and maybe they shouldn't do it a lot if they don't do it well, but to the point, you need you cannot survive in this league or like be a legitimate team in the NBA and not shoot a lot of threes. That day is is going. You have to shoot a lot. You have to shoot a lot of them, and you have to make a decent number of them. It's just it's mandatory, just flat out. So both of these teams, which is funny that they would have their best, uh, one of their better three point shooting performances in a while, like since I think you noted since like early January against the Kings or something like that. Uh, it, like. Th- it is interesting that two teams that are sort of symbolic of of basically playing today's NBA the wrong way and not shooting enough threes and being good enough at threes, uh, that that would be the team that they would sort of emerge against. But I want to get into this point about Shingun because, and I just read this headline, I'm going to be honest here, so I don't even pretend like I've been able to go through all of this. I've, I've read some bits and pieces of it. But this is a headline in the Houston Chronicle from Jonathan Fagan, and I saw you respond to it, or maybe, I don't know if you retweeted it or whatever, but I feel like I saw it off your timeline. But Fagan writes, or his head, the headline on his story says, why Rockets are still struggling to get Alperin Shingun ball at key times. Um, and that was that looks like it was posted or published yesterday. But I would imagine you would have a good sense for what this is about like what what is that about what why would they be struggling to get shingun looks when he's one of their more creative and efficient offensive players you know i i don't so i i i brought this up because of the uh the boss because they're playing boston tonight and against the celtics in december shingun took three shots and they just couldn't get him the ball and a lot of that was just marcus smart Marcus Smart being physical, Marcus Smart fronting him, and the Rockets just could not figure out how to get him the ball in that spot. But I do think it's interesting, and um, they played uh, Brooklyn last week, and Shingun just dominated that game early. And I think he had like 12 points or whatever in the first half, made all of his shots, and then he only has four points after halftime. And it's kind of been interesting. If you look at the splits, Shingun's scoring is going down each quarter. And – you know, it's quarter after quarter after quarter. First quarter is his highest, then it goes second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And he also becomes less efficient uh, after halftime. So I think he was shooting, this was after Tuesday's game. He was over 60% from the field in the first half. And then he was below 50% in the second half. And so the first thing that, that came to me is, well, is he fading? You know, is it one of those things where, you know, he's getting tired as the game goes on just because they're asking him to do a whole lot more this year than they did last year. And he's playing more, you know, we're, we're deep into this season and, and uh, you know, the minutes start to pile up. And the one thing I asked Silas about this and he said, it's not Shingun, you know, getting tired or fading. It's just that teams adjust. And so teams all of a sudden really start to focus their defense on Shingun just because, you know, you torch a team in the first half, then all of a sudden in the second half, they're going to they're gonna adjust. And so that's what teams are doing. And so what the Rockets and what Shingun need to figure out is, okay, what's our next step? What's our next move when teams go to this? There was the game against uh, Minnesota uh, back in, I can't remember when it was, in December or January, where Shingun, again, a really big first half against Rudy Gobert, and then they just packed the paint on. And they said, you know what? We're going to dare you to shoot. And so part of this is a team thing where if the Rockets aren't going to make threes, 
well, then teams are just going to invite them to shoot. And so that's one aspect of this too, is that it's not, part of this is on Shingun. Part of it is Shingun needs to be more aggressive, but part of this is also on the team getting him the ball. Part of this is on players, you know, making shots too. And so that defenses have to kind of come out of their, of that little shell around the lane. I want to ask you about why it is that this team gets up seems is it do you think it's just because of youth that this team gets up for the league's best team or is that sort of a standard thing for teams to play down and to play up the competition or or is it is it not a youth exclusive characteristic or trait or do you think that's that it is specific to the Rockets youth to, to the reason why that they're like that I don't know if it's, you know, specific to the Rockets, but I, I do think it's human nature. It's like, hey, you know, you see LeBron James on the schedule. You're going to be a little excited to play LeBron James as opposed to playing the Charlotte Hornets when, when LaMelo Ball isn't playing. I mean, that's just human nature that you're going to be that you're just going to have more energy going into that game. The crowd's into it a little bit more. So, yeah, I do think that part of it has to do with just the human nature of young guys and you're playing against star players and you want to show off, you, you know, you want to show um, that when there are a few more eyes on you, that, that you are, you know, good and that you can play. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's more that than anything else. Uh, and you look at what they've done this season, they've beaten Giannis, they've beaten Philly, you know, they, they beat James Harden and Joel Embiid. Those games were, you know, they played well at home against the good teams. They beat Phoenix at home. Um, so there's more energy in the building for those games. Uh, you're, you're, excited to play against LeBron or you're excited to play against James, you know, these guys have relationships with James Harden. We've talked about that at nauseum. You know, you have, you want to, you want to, you want to prove something. You have you feel like you have something to prove when you're playing against some of the league's best. So I do think that's natural because we've seen it where they'll play really well against a good team and then they'll play the Spurs and completely lay an egg. And so I just think that's part of youth. I think that's part of human nature. And that's why I think bad teams can steal games against really good teams because the really good team doesn't care. Well, and I ask about this more specifically uh, because I feel like we've talked about this before, but when we're looking at the schedule right now, the games that they play, and we mentioned we're recording this on a Monday when they're playing the second of, what is this? Did I say six games? Yeah, six games. The second of a six-game homestand. But their their next teams, and just just take out home out of it, okay? Starting with today, the moment that we're – recording this podcast they got boston on a monday night two nights later on wednesday they got the lakers two nights after that on friday night they've got the pelicans and what are back-to-back looks like back-to-back games against the pelicans then they've got the warriors then they go on the road next wednesday against memphis back-to-back games on the road against memphis then cleveland then then the Knicks in back-to-back nights, Cleveland and the Knicks in back-to-back nights, and then they've got Brooklyn after that. But all of these teams, the majority, if not all of these teams, are either a playoff team, a potential play-in team, or a legitimate title contender in the case of, you know, Boston. I guess you wouldn't say that anymore about Memphis given their situation, but at one point this year they did look like that um, and are that quality of a team. I say all that to say, I feel like since this is a young team that gets up for the league's best, uh, that it's possible that we could see the best of them in these next several games or so that maybe, and especially since I don't think it's just that I think that's part of it, but especially since we've heard from Jalen green and different guys around the team, every time 
we talk to them or get to hear from them, they want to finish this year strong. Like independent of who they play, they want to finish the year strong. Whether they do it or not is its own separate point. Whether the performance reflects that is its own separate point. But I think they do want it. And if there's anything to be like an added motivation for them to actually go and get it and finish out strong, I'm not talking about just winning games. I'm talking about just playing competent basketball, which I think they've done at times, even in some of these losses over the last several days. That that to me is a good sign because I don't, I don't feel like they're good enough to beat most of these teams, but they can play up to the competition and at least feel good about how they finish off the season. It, it, to me, it's a good sign that at the final stretch of the season, they're playing teams that they'll be motivated to play well against. Here's the one issue, though, because what, what did I just say? You know, when you're a bad team, you can catch the good teams napping a little bit. These teams that you mentioned, for the most part, they have to win these games. And so, yeah. you know, the Lakers, the Lakers need wins. The Pelicans need wins. The Warriors need wins. So you're not catching those teams napping. You know, those teams yeah. are going to get up in these games. And so it's going good. to be. That's good, though. Yeah, that's good. That's good though, because, like, because yeah, uh, that way you still accomplish the losing thing, but you get to see them competing against an actual competitive team, not just a good team that's laying, that's laying over for you or laying down for you so you can just, you know, just any old run-of-the-mill NBA night. Like, the fact that they're catching them down the stretch – when it seems like they've got less to play for, but the other teams have a lot to play for in playoff positioning, that is that is a good prospect for evaluating how they how competitive they how competitive they are at the end. But they actually have to come out with that energy now on all on all these things. Yes. You know, it, it's yes. not you know where where some of these games where you can kind of work your way into it or hey maybe you don't have the right energy, but the team you're playing doesn't have the right energy because these teams are going to come out and bring that energy. That's just how it's going to be because they're playing for their seasons. And so it's, it's an opportunity for the Rockets to be a spoiler in one sense, but they cannot, you know, they, they cannot play without effort and energy. Otherwise they're going to get embarrassed. So it is important. Like, I think it's good that they're going to be playing in, and for what some of these teams will be, the, the, these will be high leverage games for some of these, for their opponents. But they need to show up, and if they don't show up, then they're just going to get run off the floor and get embarrassed, and then that's not good for anybody moving forward. All right, Adam, let's jump out of here, man. All of our schedules are a little bit wild today. I will say, though, maybe we should try to do this again this week, maybe Thursday in between the Lakers game and those Pelicans games. That's also something maybe we could talk about offline, but also a possibility for you guys uh, to listen again. Um, Shorter podcast because – Again, we got some got some scheduling things going on, but make sure you subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars and actually, you know, give us a review because uh, I think that helps with the visibility of the podcast. So we'll see you guys a little bit later on in the week for Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez handling things behind the scenes. I am Brandon Scott. This is the H-Town Hoops podcast. And until next time, y'all be good.